Hey everyone, today we are talking with our good friend once again, Mr. Lauren Avedon. Lauren is a ninth degree black belt and grandmaster in Taekwondo and Hapkido. This is part two of our discussion with Lauren and we hope you guys enjoy. Okay. Have my absolute permission to keep. Well, as long, uh, as long as it's not to to get me in trouble. I mean, we'll take our shirts off to make it really uncomfortable. <laughs> Bro, you're the pro at that one, dude. I'm I mean, long shots and you know the all all kinds of stuff. That's that's yeah, love I that kinda, shit. I kind of do it though for my own, because like obviously there's time to be serious with a lot of stuff. Yeah. But for me, you have to break up the monotony of, like, you de I never want to take myself so seriously that I become a caricature of what I preach. Right. And sometimes you see some of these people and you just kind of like, holy crap, like, man, take a chill pill. Yeah, like, lighten you, up. Right. And I'm just like, dude, I, just, for me, it's like, the, I just make a mockery of people that are like, I love trying it. to be Instagram models and all that bullshit. But I love it. I love it, man. Well, really it's good, good to have you here today again, uh, Lauren. It's been, good to uh, be had. It's been, uh, I think, a couple of months since we last kind of talked on camera, but yeah, brother. You, you've also got married recently, so congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. We're enjoying ourselves, and it's great to be here in Europe, Eastern Europe, in a neutral country where you know uh, you can kind of just do what you want to do, be what you want to be. It's have you? Have you been to Sweden yet when you're over there, or is it kind of? No, I actually, I'm going to stop in Amsterdam on the way back. Uh, I've been invited, but it's a question of whether I will be able to get in. So now the world, today, the World Health Organization supposedly has changed the rules about quarantine, about masks and uh, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see how that all pans out. Yeah, so, it's one of, know, that's one of those things where you got to kind of have to, it's always Roll. changing, and obviously yeah. you're in the same kind of same boat in the industry where it's like every, literally every hour kind of affects what you do and how you can do it. So exactly, but not to be stopped. That's the key. There's a lot of people get stopped by these things because they feel like you know they they get into panic mode, quote unquote. I would say I, I I'm human. You know I'm I am subject to that possibility. I just let that be a thought. And then I let go of it. And then I start to methodically dissect or learn right. everything I possibly can. And as I mentioned to you, I think I'm, uh, I've already been exposed to it, but I right. don't, do I want to, do I want to cough on somebody and get them sick? No, absolutely not. So, but here in Eastern Europe, you know, they're being super careful and uh, in Europe overall, I mean, you know, Sicily is a blue zone. We could try to travel there, but I can't get in because I have an American passport. So it's just, um, it's kind of crazy, but it's great to talk to you, buddy. And, you know, to everyone who's listening and, and has uh, provided questions and been a part of your spirit chat, you know, it's just the beginning. I mean, there's, there's so much to, to go over and there's so many things to learn. And I'm really, really grateful to you, John. Thank you. One of the things you, you've actually been really active with like a bunch of talks and podcasts. And I just watched one with Scott Atkins and obviously, I'm a fan of Scott's and what he's doing, too, right now in the time oh of COVID. He's so yeah. creative in talking with masters like yourselves. That was just a really cool conversation. I'm glad to see you out there doing that stuff. Thank you so much. And, you know, it's such an honor to talk to Scott and to, and to be complimented by such an incredibly gifted athlete and martial artist and to have inspired him or helped in some way to inspire him on his journey. You know, that's all one can ask for. I mean, we... 
you know, we're going to talk about some of my lineage and some of where I come from in martial arts today and things like that. And all I can do is, is really be grateful and thankful that they shared with me um, and that Scott would would say that, you know, and has no ego about, you know, kind of keeping his bravado. He doesn't need to because he's already a badass. I mean, you know, if you've right. got Chad Stahelski, you know, the guy, I know Chad very well. And, uh, you know, if you got Chad Stahelski telling you, the, guy, the director of the John Wick series, uh, Brandon Lee's former double, um, you know, and, you know, and, and Chad goes through methodically his martial arts uh, history and upbringing and into the Jun Fan, into the Jeet Kune Do with Dan and Santo and all of that. I mean, and you have uh, Chad challenging uh, Scott with questions. Name, name five moves, you know, in the Matrix that uh, are a combination together. You know, Scott's kind of going, mm. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know, because that's how, how amazing Chad's mind is. You know, he's like a uh, sponge for all of these things because that's what he's devoted his life to. So, you know, I mean, that martial spirit, but also the taking that into the next level of, of creating uh, and making a story out of that fight or out of that, out of those techniques. And then, right. you know, the Matrix, what was the, what was Keanu's uh, martial art? Hapkido, right? See, I did not know that. Yeah, that was, that was that whole choreographed fight with, um, I can't remember, I, with the gentleman in the, in that, this sort of uh, African American gentleman, right? Who he does this whole fight with. That's all oh, Morpheus. Hop Morpheus. Yeah. Morpheus. That's all Hapkido technique, and it's um, you know, uh, but Hapkido is a hybrid martial art. You know, it comes from uh, Daioto Ru Jujitsu, Japanese Jujitsu is, is one of its is uh, mother uh, mother principles, and it involves a lot of small circle Jujitsu. Uh, it's a it's a hybrid of many different styles and has had to adapt because of the Japanese occupation of Korea. And my grandmaster is uh, related to one of the founders of the Korea Hapkido Federation in 1963. 1963, my grandmaster was 18. He was born right at the end of World War II when Korea was starting to repopulate after the Japanese had been you know ousted. Uh, after VJ Day and, you know, Korea could kind of take back its country because it, it had been an undefeated nation for millennia. I mean, Korea had a navy. Korea could kick anybody's butt. But when artillery started to happen in 1904, you know, they they uh, tapped out and the Japanese occupied. them. So, you know, it's a, it's interesting how they were able to create Tang Sudo, which kept Taekyun and Taekwondo technique alive. And Hapkido, you know, goes way back, way, way back to uh, to Dr. Choi and then Jihan Jae. Jihan Jae is, uh, was one of the masters that I worked with, and uh, he's in Bruce Lee's Game of Death. He's on the second level, I believe, the gold-belted gold belt, gold um, master, and that is Hapkido. Bruce was a big fan of Hapkido because of its if it's joint locks, like if you remember Jackie Chan and that one thing, you know, he, Bruce takes his hand, and gets him into this arm bar, grabs his hair. That's something he, he took from, you know, Hapkido, from those joint locks, from all of those things that we learned. So, you know, it's really a wonderful, wonderful style of, of an aggregate of what works, which is basically leveraging, dropping your center of gravity, movement, footwork, 
taking brute force and turning it against the opponent. It has some some of some of Hapkido has uh, Chinese roots, you know, the Mantis style. I've seen Tiger style. I've I've seen I knew um, Grandmaster Choi, one of one of uh, his descendants. These guys could run up walls. I'm not. I I kid you not. Four or five steps, like before parkour was ever a thing. These guys barefoot would run, and they take one, two, three, four steps up a wall, punch off, kick, flip, do whatever, and then land gracefully. I mean, wow. So it's uh, – I, I got a chance to get involved because of my grandmaster's lineage and his association with that federation that was created in 1963 by uh, – I think it was Park, Park Jung-hee. Yeah, Park Chung-hee. That's exact his exact name. That's my grandmaster's, I think, uncle. And um, my grandmaster's name is In Con Park. You know, Park, it, there's a lot of Parks, Kim's, Choi's, Ree's, Chong's, you know, in all of Korea and in Asia, right? It's kind of right. like Smith, Smith, Jones, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, so, but they're all related. And to have, and the, the standard names in Korean are three parts. And you say the last name first, Park, that's your family, and then who you are, you know, as, as a, an individual given name. But I had a chance to train with all of these amazing dudes really way, way back in 2000, 2002, 3, 4, when I was still in the United States proper. I came over um, to visit, basically, and I didn't even let my daughter know that I was going to be in California because I stayed at literally slept at the Dojang in Orange County and uh, trained for this test that I was going to be, was going to be administered to me. And it was in January and it was bloody cold uh, for my, me, my little skinny Hawaiian behind uh, in uh, this Dojang in, um, in Orange County in Fullerton. So, you know, but I had been to these studios in Korea where, you know, they train on concrete, they train in the basement. It's freaking 20 below zero outside. And these dudes are barefoot and the only, they're ste- you're steaming, you know, you're steaming. And, um, but they're training on concrete or, or you go to this place and you just bow in, you show up and there's really no need of any language other than just the rote technique, which is let me show you. And people are always saying, why do you Hapkido guys, you know, do this wrist grab stuff? Well, the wrist grab is like learning A in the alphabet. Once you learn A, then you can learn B and C and so forth. So if someone grabs you here or somebody grabs you by the throat or somebody gets you by the hair or whatever, because, you know, Hapkido can involve anything, a belt, a rope, a knife, a gun, uh, whatever, you know, pick up anything, short staff, long staff. There's the Korean names for them, but we'll keep it short. I don't need to, you know, go through all of the, all of the naming, but it involves weapons. But the principles of Hapkido are to remain on your feet and to disable your opponent or create such pain that your opponent submits. And you do that standing. If you have to get on the ground, now you're limited. Like I, I have all respect for Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the world. Absolutely amazing, the Machados and the Gracies. But if you notice, there's no small joint manipulation allowed in that art. If there was, 
then it would change entirely the entire philosophy of it. And combat Hapkido and what I did in my four-day test, I thought I failed. I thought, I mean, I flew back to Hawaii and with my basically, you know, bloody, beat up, bruised, and, you know, feeling like I didn't, like I stuck. But then I found out a couple of weeks later that I had passed. But that whole, whole four days and then a month basically of living in the dojan beforehand was absolutely essential to me going through this sort of rite of passage or this test and where they would just throw anything at me, whether it's multiple opponents, whether it's a weapon, whether it's this or that, they're not going to tell you anything. They're just going to do it. And it would be six to eight hours each day. I had a couple of different uniforms. By the time I was done, I didn't even want these uniforms anymore. They were so disgusting. There was no way to clean them. There was no way to do anything in them other than just leave them. So I literally threw them. This is very disrespectful. But threw them in the trash, in the dumpster, in the back when I went out. Because I was so disgusted with myself thinking that I had failed. That they had seen through all of, you know, a 55-year-old man you know, going through this uh, rite of passage and um, and then ultimately giving me that rank, which is an honorary thing. You know, it's not something that you need, really. But my, right. grand, my grandmaster was always, you know, so, how can I say this? He was always giving me opportunities to show up and I would just show up. Whether, where, wherever it was, wherever it was in the world that he was going, he would say, would you like to go? And I would go. And then, you know, we would have the opportunity to train. And, and he was a military, you know, he, he was from the military. He trained uh, in Vietnam, special forces of many different countries that came over there. And, um, you know, Korea was a little bit involved, but more of a neutral country during that conflict. And so the Korean War after that, and they were able to then kind of regain their footing again. Uh, they, you know, my, my grandmaster moved back to Seoul and, he has brothers and cousins and you know he said he's one of the former or one of the founders uh, but one of the former masters of the of the cookie one which is the taekwondo aspect and that's 1973 so 10 years later you know when the war was kind of over in vietnam and things could get kind of more back to normal in asia he was back there and a part of that formation of that organization so that's how 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 incredibly lucky I am to have been exposed to and given the opportunity to, to train with all of these masters whose names are a blur, but remembering how it felt, you know, and what to, what, what it was like to be put through the ordeal. So that's what was important to them is they wanted to see my spirit because I think I mentioned it's hop, key, go, hop means go. Key is your key energy, your internal energy and do is the way. So how go the way? And then you, you, you make it your own. They wanted to see how I would incorporate my own technique into all of these various techniques that they had shown me and how right. I would stuff some of their, whether it's one, two, three opponents, uh, how I would stuff their movements. And, you know, sometimes I would have to submit. Sometimes I got the, you know, the birdies flying around my head, but, the fact is, is, I was always getting up. I always got up and stood back there again. Should be stance ready to go. So, so you know, it's kind of, right? It's kind of cool how 
yes, you get the techniques, you learn the specifics of it, but it's up to you to make them a practical part of your kind of your tool belt. And that's what I think a lot of times is like the security industry and some of the stuff we're doing, like the bodyguard executive protection. People are like, oh, I need to, I need the techniques. Well, no, you can take what you got from that and make it your own. I make it more practical for your your job. Right, and and not only that, what works for your body type? What 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 is your leverage? What is your physical mental advantage? And then how can you develop that and polish that or make it a part of like I know you're probably going to get back out the road on the road again pretty soon. I hope, John. Yep. And then everybody else, but everybody else, and what you're trying to do in creating a training atmosphere and this in this uh, facility, you know, that's the key. Is is if we all come together and be a blood vessel. You've heard me use this, you know, kind of uh, term before. And then we can just flow with whatever's going on and learn and and like you, you know, you you'd like to keep things light, which is really cool, uh, because you know, a mind that's open and a mind that's relaxed is always going to be able to act quickly. Uh, not that you're ever off, off, you know, it's never off. Perhaps when you're asleep, you're always on, but you're relaxed and you're ready. So, right. I mean, it's a huge key. If we could kind of back up a little bit, what was the catalyst that got you into like the martial arts and eventually Hapkido? And then that first day training at Pido, that goes all the way to what you just described, that final test. Did you think that on that first day that you were like, you could mentally and physically do this? No, I thought uh, I couldn't take it. And it bothered me. It really bothered me. It bothered me that uh, I, you know, I was, um, that I, I was so hard on myself, which I think is part of my makeup. I mean, my father was the same way. He just would set the bar so high, he couldn't even reach it. And then I went in and I saw all these guys and how they moved. And, and then I just got lucky with June Chung and with Master Re, Simon and Philip, and with all of these people that would come through there. And that was my foundation. And then Master uh, Chung kind of set me free. And then I went, I was like a Ronin. I just went around and around and around and around. I would train and train and train and train. And I, Thank God I had J.J. Perry's school to kind of base out of as far as Taekwondo. And then as far as Hapkido goes, you know, I had many friends in other areas. And we would, we would do, you know, the grappling, do the, do the technique, do the knife defense, do the, you know, the staff techniques. I would still practice. I still have some rattan bows, for example. I mean, you know, some, some of the questions were, you know, some of the, you know, hard weapons that you've worked with. Well, I think being able to grab a stick is a huge, you know, thing or just pick up anything and turn it into a weapon, a rope, take off your belt. And or if you have the chance to do that, but just to be able to move and take the power away from somebody. So how it began was is through Jun Chan and through exposure to other masters, other styles, to Gumdo, which is the sword art, to the short staff, the long staff, the cane. And I think I mentioned to you that a master or one of my interviews that uh, Master Philip Ree used to use me as his, as his uh, demo dummy. You Ooh. know, he would put on the hogu and he'd whack me with a cane. I would punch punch at him and he'd hook my arm and throw me and hit the deck. So that was prepped for, you know, doing all this movie stuff. But it was also awesome to be asked to to be the person who helps the master to demonstrate the technique. 
And uh, a cane is huge, man. I mean, all you need is, I mean, it, it's, it's not your typical uh, cane that you see today or even a, a hooked cane. It's a little bit longer and it's bamboo. It has a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know how to, how to put this, a semicircle, a curve there. But either way, and the tip is not quite pointed, but it is, it, it comes to a sort of, uh, not a head, but, you know, it's blunt because you, you would have to use it if you're walking or whatever to justify walking with it. But it's, a, it's an amazing, uh, it's just a straight, it's just a straight tool, just like a stick. It's the same kind of thing. So it was just, I'm sorry to go on and on, but it's very no, I love it. To, to describe the progression of just what happened. Like, it's a blur. I just kind of showed up. And then all of these things I absorbed, I then made my own. And that's what that, that test involved. Because I was in Hawaii, you know, training with all kinds of different people. I did all kinds of training in, in the South Bay with Muay Thai and with Wing Chun. And, you know, when I had my own schools, I was doing Wing Chun as well. And with uh, Eskrima, uh Kali and uh, Arnis. And, you know, after sticks are coming at your head, those rattan sticks are coming at you and you've got to block them and parry and do heaven and earth or whatever. Punches are slow. You know, hands are slow. It's, it's trippy how weapons are just an extension of, of yourself. But the basic foundations of Hapkido are throughout all martial arts. It's all about your center, your your weight, the distribution of your energy and, and how you receive an opponent's attack but there are aggressive movements and a lot of painful you know technique in hapkido not all of it works not all of it will work it's all about the timing and again combat hapkido how does that come into play well you 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 learn very sensitive areas of the body and i don't care how big you are or how strong you are you know there's a lot of people that have that you know you can hit them a hundred times and they're still going to be there, oh, or, or yeah. if they're on, or if they're on something, you know, they right. It's beyond. But if you if you take them down and then you can move on, for example, now you, you you're not hit. You're not trying to you know do what you're what maybe you want to do, which is strike them. You just let the ground do the work, and you just, now you. You move on. Well, if there's multiple attackers, you don't have time to wrap up with someone. And that's kind of why I like when you talked about the wrist lock, that control, where control the situation and move on if you have to. And so Absolutely. I, I love line, that. It's so practical. And line, and line up those three. Don't have them around you. You know, it's it's the old uh, joke about, you know, pick the biggest guy and not, you know, punch him in the nose. But the other thing is, is that you try to not allow that uh, kind of situation to occur. That's why you have your back up against the wall all the time. You know, you have all of this training that doesn't allow that. Right. But then again, you know, when you're dealing with a, someone that you're working with, you know, you just have to be fluid. You just have to be liquid. And then you're, you're going to wrap this guy, this person up and protect them. And, uh, and that's all you can do, you know. Chris and I have been talking a lot about Hapkido. And it's well, he's actually really interested in the art itself. And, and so it's so for someone that's never done it before, I go or I'm like, Hey Lauren, where should I go trade? If I wanted to pick it up, like what's the first couple of weeks like? And, and then from there, what is the time period or between like different belts and stuff like that? Well, here's the thing about Hapkido. If you go to a good Hapkido uh, dojo, 
you're the, the first months are going to be how to learn to stand, how to learn to uh, certain, uh, you know, flexibility movements, how to roll, how to fall, how to, you know, move in a stance or in, in certain ways and condition your body. You're going to, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to do various striking techniques. You're going to yell. Uh, you you want to find a good hop keto school. It's very, very difficult without going and, uh, and being allowed to watch. And you watch the senior students, you watch the, the uh, beginning classes, and then hopefully there's some trial period. But look, if you, if you, it's like judo, you know, if you're not, if, if you're not ready to hit the ground a lot, and know and make friends with the ground and be thrown around and be hurt. You know, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you know, this in this day and age, they sell belts. You know, you can go sign up at a school and, you know, if you have paid your money, you're going to get that belt. I don't want that. That You know, one of the greatest um, Hapkido uh, grandmasters and teachers, he wears a white belt and uh, he just puts a little inscription on there of his name and, of the um, Korean Hapkido Federation on the other side of the belt. And so he's very, very humble. And that's the thing. You would have to go and find that grandmaster or that master. And there are some some Westerners that do that and, and might be in your area. The question is, you know, what are they doing right now? Everybody has stopped training right. with others because of this three or four months of you know, uh, just legally, physically not being able to do it. So what you, what you, it's actually an opportunity. Once these schools start to reopen or rebound, I couldn't tell you, you'd have to give me your specific area, but you're going to be bouncing around all over the place. Right. So, so your, your theory or idea of creating a training center and then allowing it to run itself and allowing it to be there is a, is a great opportunity for, you know, shall we say, you know, it's like Olympic training center, you know, people show up. Yeah. Somebody's got to pay the bills. So there's got to be some kind of, um, um, classes or whatever you're going to do. Right. To find someone near you, you have to go there. You have to see that energy. You have to see how the senior students are acting, how people are interacting, what their level is. You can see, you can kind of see by the lines and the flexibility or the, the ease of movement or what they emphasize, how hard they train or whether they're talking a lot or they're doing a lot, you know, cause that's the thing, you know, you've got a lot of people out there that um, have a belt, you know, you can buy one online. It's uh, you know, and have it engraved. One of the things I really like and again, I don't have a, I don't have a belt. I don't have any specific training in any martial art. I mean, the secret service was very crap. jujitsu. But again, it's very the practical stuff aspect of it. Sure, so for sure. me, some of the thing that draws me to martial arts is the fact that if you want to get trained by someone who's really good, you you go to them. And for me, there's that part of it's like, man, this is like an old school like David Carradine kung fu. Like everyone, you got to flock to him if you want to learn the best. And I think there's a for me, there's a I have extreme admiration for anyone that is a grandmaster or a teacher in different any of these arts to actually have that knowledge where people come to you to learn and want to appreciate what other studies you've done. Yeah. And that's difficult to find again, because right, right now everyone is dispersed and in, uh, in the Korean sort of paradigm, they go back to Korea. 
honestly, a lot of them, they just go back to Seoul. They go back home or they, you know, they have their, uh, their little circle there and they're probably training in the garage and you just don't know it. You know, you, you know, you, the neighbors may know it <laughs> because of the noises right. that are, that are happening there. And, uh, but that's, that's the thing right now. I couldn't even tell you where to go in your area. Right. But having a foundation of a defensive style of police tactical technique, for example, or a secret service based mind, you know, you have that ability to absorb these things. You don't, you know, you don't have to be excellent at everything, but what you have to be able to do is have that mindset that you have created, which is the awareness right? and knowing what's going on and feeling what's going on, which is wonderful. What's wonderful about martial arts. I think I mentioned to you that I went to an Aikido dojo, dojo excuse me, in uh, downtown LA. It was off some railroad, old railroad track. And uh, the grand master or grand, uh, or um, what was it, Hanshi or, Anyway, the, the head sensei there has passed away. He he uh, was a collector of swords and of this and of that. But I stepped up onto this platform, which used to be basically a loading dock or something, where the train would go, you know, uh, and pick stuff up in downtown L.A. And I bowed in, and um, there were these Aikido masters, and they were they were practicing. Now, Aikido is a defensive art. You know, you see these guys running at these guys and grabbing them or whatever. That's great. But I, I tell you, and I swear to you, that I could feel these men. When I took this man's hand and shook his hand and bowed, you know, I, I felt him. And that's something that I can't explain. But I knew that two feet around him was his area. And if you come into that area... You're going to end up on the floor, you know, and so you just feel that. And what does that do? That dissuades any kind of presence. Now, you do have that mindset of somebody who is just not not there, not feeling anything. They're just, you know, they have <laughs> they have some singular crazy shit idea like uh, drop kicking Arnold Schwarzenegger from behind running across, a, you know, a basketball court while he's talking to some kids. And he had three security guards with him. And he had three security guards with him. And and they didn't see that, nor could they stop that. Had one of them seen it, I guarantee you he would have run in front of that young man and at least tried to deflect that technique. And then the other two would have been on him. But, you know, obviously that kid is somewhere, you know, doing some sort of, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't, didn't follow up with that. But, you know, anybody's vulnerable anytime, as you know, you know, it's just a matter of trying to decrease that and your desire to learn martial arts or to to find out what you're what you're you know, what's going to work for you. That's that's awesome. You know, I, so, yeah. Part of the reason why we like we want to do like this kind of online martial arts symposium thing is that there's so much out there. And like you said, I don't have the time to learn i mean eventually i think i want to pick one and just be like hey i'm going to do my best at it i'm going to go for belts i want to put the time in but there is so much you can pull from different aspects of the martial arts to kind yeah. of make me better at what i do i mean we've so far we've done keith cook kathy long or olivia grunner and every one of them 
has an aspect where I'm like, you know, I might not like that part of their background or training, but there one part that I do like that's already made me a better person just learning about it. And so I do find value in just learning from everyone's different mindset. Cause when it comes down to it, everyone we're talking to, they've all said the same thing. You're all very knowledgeable in history. You all have the notion and you, you all have the beliefs that, Hey, we, what we do is great, but at the end of the day, it's gotta be a practical use of it. And that right there just opened my eyes. Well, you have you have that ability yourself to to understand that always is every day is a new day, right? So we we're all you know interested in learning. I'm interested in learning from you know some of the experts that you work with, for example. I just want to be in the presence of of, of warriors and of men and women who are disciplined. And who are up to something that is is going to benefit, you know, not just themselves, but is going to help others and is going to be a part of, of something bigger than themselves. That's always. It's weird that people don't put the time in to want to learn. It's very it's kind of disheartening because it's like especially during this last three, four months, like learn a language, learn how to write a different language, take a cooking class. You, there's online. There's some states now they're issuing online guard card, EMT, tactical training online. It's like put the time in, and it's, it's just weird that uh, it's, it's just crazy. I think it's our instant gratification society. You know, like we've forgotten that there are books out there, and there are there's th- there are things out there that are core to our human being that we can do. I mean, my daughter, bless her heart, she's. She's now picked up web design. She's she's had that guitar sitting in her room for 12 years, but now she can play a few chords. She bought an ukulele and she learned how to play that. She's, um, you know, so she's tasked herself with that artistic, you know, kind of self that she that she she loves. Like she misses going to live shows. Like if you're ever in LA and you can hook oh, my darn, she'll come out. Yeah, she'll. Look. I would great. love you to do that because she is just an absolute fan of of all of these artists. But in any case, so she's taken this opportunity to learn, to play, to you know develop something. Now, look, I'm not saying it's easy for a lot of people out there who are struggling with how do I pay my bills and what am I going to do. I mean, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of that going on, but yes, there are. There's, in in any kind of adversity, there's always an opportunity, right? So, so that's that's the challenge that we're all faced. But with is what are you going to do today? You know, with your time, and what are you going to do for others, and on all of those things. Now, look, I understand people are busy, man. They they have uh, more than a nine to five, they have a five to nine and then they have to get up and do it all over again. They have businesses to run or try to keep going at this time. They're kids that aren't in school. They have to take care of them now. It's yeah, totally. I get it. Yeah. And they're so grateful to the teachers now for, thank you for taking my child for eight hours a day. I, I never appreciated it before. You right. Know, it's uh so it's interesting, but, but this is, this is sort of interesting also in that uh, society always seems to make the circle, you know, where everything is okay until it's not. And we're going to be told what to do, right, unfortunately. And that's the, also just, again, a part of being a, 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 in a society. 
So, right. you know, we have to kind of roll with the punches. And you're super, you're out there with Chop Fit and you're doing stuff. You're you're creating, you know, Spirit Talk. You're on with Chris. He's doing his thing. He's riding the horses. He's, you know, out, you know, right. running and gunning in the, in the forest or wherever he is out there. And that's awesome. You know, and that's what I've done. I've, I've decided right. to, you know, come over here and go through the the arduous process of uh, of marrying a foreigner and trying to get her over to the United States. I mean, that's a full time job. Right. But while I'm over here, I'm I'm contacting. I'm I'm going to any athletic events I can, contacting you know this master from Niche, and you know seeing what what's going on with him supporting, you know, all of my students or whoever wants to talk to me in whatever they want to talk about, because I have that luxury and I have that also that desire to be a part of the conversation and getting to talk to you, getting to talk to Scott Atkins or Bruce Willow or whoever is, you know, got the time now. Right. That Bruce Willow one was good too. That was really good. I think that's one of the best ones ever because he actually found that old Pepsi slice commercial. Yeah, I was like, is it? I was like, there's no way that's Lauren. I'm like, oh my god! You know, I'm the I'm the guy. I'm the guy guy doing the chop and the spinning chop. You can't even really see me. I did that flying sidekick through this uh, this uh, man-made, you know, flat waterfall for three days. But the stunt coordinator, Daniel something or other, he ended up being the guy that you know got it shot going through because. I mean, for three days, I was in, you know, on a platform, four inches of water or whatever, running, jumping through the thing and smiling, you know. And then they, they hooked some some hoses to my arms and I'm doing the chop and spin chop. And you don't even see me, but that's me. But then I was a Pepsi Slice Black Belt. I got my SAG card. But he did a great job. So everybody has these opportunities now to reach out. And some people are real busy and some people are trying to gear back up to, to, to go back to work. And that's what I'm excited about is, is all of these people now, you know, they, they're like, Oh yeah. Lauren Avenon guy. He's still alive. We didn't know that before. Right. We, he looked we, younger. Right. Right. You know, anyway. but it's always good to, to talk to you, John, because you know, you've got this great, um, you know, energy about you and you always are, are willing want to learn. I wish I could point you in the direction of where to go, but I think what's going to occur perhaps is you're going to get back out on the road and hopefully somebody that you recruit, you know, has some of that knowledge and background and you can certainly, you know, discover some technique that's going to be effective for what you need to do. I'll just go to you. How about that? That's perfect. I'm My happy. My office to- is right by you, so. That's terrific. So I look forward to that and I'll be back. I'm going to go through Amsterdam. I came through Amsterdam to get here because I didn't want to deal with the Charles de Gaulle, the French paperwork where you have to fill out, you know, everything in French about your COVID, you know, whatever. Right. So I went through a ship airport. And when I go back, I'll probably stay over there for a few days. I'll probably stop in New York, maybe go to Arlington, go see my, I think Arlington is still closed though. So I may not be able to do that. You posted an awesome tribute. Um, was it your – which family member was it? My father. Right. Well, you, but you had the dust when you when, for your wedding day. You posted yes. a picture of the dust from Arlington. Yes. And I thought that was a really awesome 
tribute. It was kind of cool, kind of full circle for you too, that he's actually there with you. Yeah, he is. And that bracelet was one of one that uh, the widow, his widow gave me, uh, my stepmother. And, yep. uh, and that's something that I treasure. And so that was something that I wore. Of course, I'm going to, but I didn't realize it. I'm not the type in Florida who wears dress shoes all the time. You know what I right. mean? I'm sneaks or flip-flops or slippers. Maybe That's my neighbor. But uh, I like have, I like being, if I could walk barefoot, I would. Uh, but the thing about it is, is that I realized that I was like polishing them up and I turned them over. I'm like, this is Arlington right here on the bottom of these shoes. And I realized that. So I wanted to, I wanted to memorialize that because of my father's influence on, you know, my, I wouldn't be here. Right. So, you know, that's just something really cool. Thank you for appreciating that. No, that was I, great. I forgot to talk to you or mention that to you when I first saw it, but yeah, that was, uh, that's really cool. That was awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And, so uh, you bet you mentioned pre, like earlier that these you got these gyms or schools that will offer hey pay X amount of dollars to get your belt, but then you also mentioned that a lot of these dojos and masters are going back to their home countries. Yeah. What was the turning point that kind of changed like the atmosphere? Like in your heyday, the eighties, nineties, like not in your heyday, heyday, but like the, the for the, these gyms being open, everyone proud to be a martial artist and the ego and the shirtless and oiled up at Venice Beach. Like there was where, where at what point did that kind of change to the thing where it's like, eh, I'll just pay it again. I don't want to put the time in. Well, the thing about it is is it's a business. You know, these schools, uh, you know, become a business. And in the 70s, 80s, the 60s, when you went to a karate school, you went there to learn how to fight. You went there to learn how to, you know, with no equipment or anything like that, maybe a groin cup, uh, to throw down. And I don't know how it changed, but it became more of a business philosophy and less of a, an arduous, you know, disciplinary uh, system. Now, I think uh, Jun Chung, for example, an old school master, he still has those that criteria. So if you can find somebody who has that kind of, I think it's going on almost 50 years now. Which now, is awesome which is amazing, you know, and people say, oh, you know, Jun Chung is a Hollywood master. I mean, well, no, he's not. He's a guy who, you know, was working with uh, Chuck Norris and was around and, you know, Philip Ree and Simon Ree, you know, you know, they're still doing their thing. Uh, Philip doesn't have a school, but Simon probably still has, has his schools out in the Valley. And so for me, I, when I had my schools, I had testing every three months, but most of the students couldn't afford to test, for example. Couldn't afford 40 bucks. And uh, so I would say, don't worry. Come here and wash the windows, uh, sweep the mat, or do something in the school. And uh, then I will, you know, just and learn, keep coming. So I had that ability. The school didn't last, but that was a school in Orange, in the city of Orange. The school I had in Reseda, the Northridge earthquake happened. 
Oh. And it was destroyed. So, you know, that was that was that. So then I transitioned into going to JJ and going here and going there, but I would always travel around. And then in the late 90s, I met Grandmaster Park. I met him at a testing that I was invited to to be a judge. And here is this, you know, Grandmaster next to me. And I don't know him. He doesn't know me. He still doesn't speak English. I still need a translation program to get a message across to him or one of, or one of the other uh, masters or grandmasters is there to, to interact. But immediately he and I bonded uh, and he offered again through translation through other masters and grandmasters to get me involved in all of these things in North America, Central America, Mexico, South America, because he was in charge of the competition division of the cookie one and the world taekwondo federation at the time so here are all of these high-ranking mucky mucks that now i'm exposed to and who i can now learn from i have the opportunity with his permission to go and train with these people and then to work with the demo team to go here to go there to fly to Quito to go to the Pan Ams, to go here and there as, a, as an official, as a representative of the Korea uh, Sports Association in America, to do all of these things. I'm just, they don't, they don't give you money for that. Right. They just think, come and we'll pay for your flight if we can and give you a place to stay and something to eat. And then, you know, you're there. Uh, or, you know, so, so that was my reward. Now, how, how people stay, keep their business, you know how much, you know how expensive commercial products. Well, and I totally get You have to survive. You have to, if, 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 and I, I think that a lot of these people that end up turning, that you have to adapt. You adapt or die, basically. And I, I support, and I totally think that you have to do what, but I, I also don't want these people that are really good at what they do to feel to feel like they're dying on the outside or even at the inside where it's like, I can't, what I want to do, I can't do because it doesn't pay the bills. And so I I was born in 85, but I remember in like nineties or so, I would see like these black belt magazines where like the cool, like it could be Jeff Speakman, it could be Richard Norton, whoever it was. I was like, I don't get the martial art, but I'd buy the magazine just to read the, just to read like, these little biographies and look at the pictures. And so you go through the supermarket now, I think black belt's still around. Yes, they are. They, are. Yes. they actually, they actually start following us this week with everything we're doing, which is badass. That's awesome. But I wish, remember there was like a karate magazine. There's inside Kung Fu. Oh, I wish, so part part of me, I wish I was like, I wish that stuff could come back. And like, I think smart part of the thing why we're doing this kind of block of martial arts is that, Maybe there's a way to kind of get that going again. I mean, obviously times change, but there is. I just you see some of these people are like, man, these guys are badasses or girls, and I wish they still got the respect at the level outside what they do. Yeah, it's true. And you know, John Corcoran, unfortunately, a few years ago passed away. John was uh, one of the managing editors of several of those publications, and like uh, I have just. Just for fun, I was. This is long ago on uh, Inside Karate. Damn. Right? 
But what's what's cool is is that, and I don't have this picture, but here I am at a tournament kicking some guy in the head, and um, and you know I'm I'm doing my little jump front kick there, right. Uh, with uh, Rick Ashenbremer, who's a very dear friend and a, literally a rocket scientist. So uh, you know, I mean, but that was that was those kicking days or that that shoot was in '94 when I was with JJ Perry, who's now you know this Uber guy. He he, he uh, Atkins also um, well has worked with JJ several times. And, yeah, he's badass. Yeah, he is a badass, and that's my buddy. And he this is this is JJ's ass. In the air, as, as we are doing our thing, and then there's some little technique in here that um, you know was part of the day, even in the '90s, that you show some sort of self-defense technique. Yeah, see, I love that stuff. And mine was, you know, against against the 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 bolo punch. You know, and how to grab it and pull that swing into you and whack them with the elbow, then hook them, get them in the guillotine, and then literally just lift your leg up and crack his head on the ground. You know, that was my thing with JJ, and he, you know, and he he showed up for that. You know, what a super guy. And this is a this is an amazing, an amazing, amazing martial artist, and uh, and still is. He's fifty three. Right. He's fifty three, but uh, you know now he's had to transition. Because of all the injury, right? Yeah. So, so it's all good. I don't know how to bring that back, but we can start. And yeah, like it. I don't know if there's a coalition because you, you hear of like Dragon Fest, I believe. Obviously, COVID affected this year, but there are different. But part of me is just like, there's got to be a way where everyone can get a band together, and because I again, I don't know anything about martial arts outside the basics. But if why do I care this much? There's got to be more people, right? And so. Oh, like it'd be mm-hmm. kind of cool, and you're you actually your social media. And I know a lot of uh, people from your era. Like the social media thing, obviously, I was kind of born into the Facebooks, the all this other crap. It's a necessary evil, but sure. you are also very active on there, telling your story, um, sharing awesome stuff. So I think that is a good start too, just to yeah. kind of get that you guys all have a story to share, and I think the more people that listen to it. I think it'd be better off for everyone. Absolutely. And the thing about it is, is allowing 8711 action design in Westchester. You know, I mean, people are invited and they show up. And uh, you've got some of the best in the world. And that's Chad's the Healthy and David Leach's gym. And, uh, but it's really their, you know, it's their brainchild to, and it's not actually an original thing to have a stunt symposium, you know, right. have the, many tramp have the, the, the gymnastics floor, have the bags, have the, the bars, have the trusses set up, have a very high ceiling and pick points on there where you can do various, you know, it's not, it's nothing new, but the fact is, is that they invested in that. And that's the thing that you can do is, is find hopefully some angel investor or someone who wants to create sort of a, you know, if, if, if um, who was that chap from uh, Virgin? Bradson. Uh, Bradson. Uh, yeah, Richard Bronson. So he and also the guy who does the hair products uh, has this karate, these karate thing, but they're all promotional, you know. And what right. what I think you would rather have is something like the pit, 
which where which is where uh, Chuck, you know, Liddell and you know right. these guys uh, would show up and train in the dirt and you know do this whole kind of thing. Where it doesn't really matter. It's like Gene Lavelle probably still has has his place way in Fraser Park in, in California. Right. So you know, there are some great martial artists out there. So if you give them you give them the address and say, hey, come on and show up, and you know you can you can do some training. It's, the thing, yeah. The thing about it, like, like an open yeah. bike night, but for for people like yourselves that go with trade, and you're also wanting to learn too. And right. I think there's. And you know what? Part of me is like, oh, the oh, these guys throw each other around. Oh, can you throw me around? Cool. But at the end of the day, the knowledge you get from that, hearing them talk and how they present themselves, that in itself is well yeah. worth the, just the price of admission just to hear these people and see their battle scars. Right. And it's valuable. Speaking of battle scars, I mean, I broke my wrist for the fifth time in that ninth degree test. So I'll be showing you things with my left hand. Uh, most of my right hand skills of, you know, this ligaments torn permanently and it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to let them fuse my, my hand to my, to my arm. Right. That's what they can do. But, you know, the fact is, is that I can still, you know, teach, I can still make whoever understand. And then again, I want to learn and have that symposium and have that, that circle, of, right. you know, whether it's Dan Severin or whoever else is showing up. You know, Richard Norton is tremendous grappler, uh, tremendous uh, talent. All of these people are tremendously talented. Kathy Long, Don Wilson, wow. I mean, Kathy is incredibly gifted. But again, you know, you, you know, I think what you your whole idea of having a center where people can learn various skills and also get you know certified right. things that you can do. Right. Which is which is very very easy. That's how I got my CCWP. Is I went to a gun show and it was just a bunch of, of uh, cops giving this this talk and then right. taking me through the test and then we had to study and go put one round down range. It was ridiculous. Uh, so you know it's kind of kind of scary, you know, in some aspect right. about who you let in and who you're going to teach. But on the other hand, if you can, you know, create that atmosphere, that that creates the possibility. Well, so, it all goes back to what you said earlier: the practicality of you're not here to. You might after the whatever the seminar or training, you might want to study that martial art more and do what you have to do with that person. But these are I want. I'm looking more for the taking the practicality out of what you can learn and how you can use it to benefit yourself. In a, in a real world situation, and that, that's there's great value in that. Amen. And if you look at if you look at just to you know kind of uh, tout my my roots, if you look at some of the greatest champions in the world, they started with taekwondo, and right. that's Anderson and Spider Silva, for example. That's uh, B.J. Penn. That's um, you know the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Anthony Pettis, uh, you know, in the MMA world, but again. The what what you would want to learn are these joint locks or these various things where you can escape and or you know subdue or contain uh, someone who you know might wish to do harm. You're already looking and scanning for you know somebody who's going to do something, right? Uh, you know, uh, and you're affected. I think that that would be great, and then I I really look forward to it. 
to draw then those people in and vet them um, in, in that kind of atmosphere right. environment and be able to support it with, say, classes that will give some people a certification and something like a right. CCUP, like a, like a, uh, you know, security guard training right. course, that right. kind of thing. So that pays the bills, but then you have this little place where people can come and play and yes, perhaps pay a fee if they need to use the, the gym facilities and then they can take classes and then you offer, you do need to look. What I'm trying to say is you do need a root art. You need to right. choose something that you want to, to de- dedicate yourself to and hopefully, you know, find the right person who has that, that attitude and that lineage and that expectation of, of you doing the best you can in order for you to test. And the only way to do that is, is you go and you see the senior students, the junior students, how, how the masters, how these are over a period of time, you just show up and you just watch. And then, you know, you go, you, you see if this is someone that you want to. And then certainly if you give me some names, I can do some background on them. But the fact of the matter is, is it's so can you, you know, it's just where you feel comfortable and then where you can come and go as well and be a part of the group, but you got to pick one, you know, you got to have something that you feel is going to be a good base right. for you. And I think that Hapita would be a great, uh, a way to, to begin the journey. Um, but you know, that's gotta be something that you find in your area. And again, we can talk candidly right. uh, off screen about, you know, who, who might be around, but the fact is, is what's wonderful is to just to be a part of your circle and silver sphere and what they're up to. And, uh, you know, whatever you guys get into, you know, I'm going to be around and I, love uh, it. and I love it too. So, you know, look, just to, to be practical and to answer some of the questions that were given from the last talk, I'm going to put on my old man glasses. And, uh, somebody asked about what are some of the most difficult weapons, right. That you've trained with. And I can say that I've trained with a lot of weapons and I don't care if it's a, a firearm or what, but you know, like the most difficult weapons would be a, medieval broadsword for example how do you swing that and not hurt somebody and make something work uh working with a a a machine gun or even just an ak-47 you know that has a a fold-out stock like how do you wrap that strap how do you carry that how do you do a three-round burst effectively uh the ak-47 is screen and then as far as sticks it's scream a kali arnis um you know those rattan sticks the short and long bow, you know, all of these uh, are weapons, but they're extensions of yourself and they require practice, footwork and constant, you know, use. And then the Gundo sword, you know, I mean, that's uh, the Korean version of Kendo. Um, and, you know, look, I've had shovels swung at my head, real shovels, you know, at, in these movies. And, uh, you know, uh, my mother bought me a Toledo steel sword from Toledo, Spain when I was a boy. And uh, I was out there, you know, watching some old movies and trying to see if I could throw that thing around. And I could. It was too dang heavy. So, you know, I mean, but, you know, everything from the machete to the bit, you know, the double-edged uh, blade that the Filipinos use. I mean, that's something, man, I'll tell you what. Those, the Filipinos, I mean, they defeated the conquistadors. Why? They were wearing a little loincloth 
and they had their little rattan sticks and all these conquistadors had was little chain mail over their groin. And so they're swinging these huge swords, wearing these breastplates and the, the steel hats in 95, 99 degree weather. And little Filipinos come there and go, and just eviscerate them and then pick up the sword. Now they have a sword, you know, now they can make a knife. They're going to make something smaller that they can carry around. It's just a trip how, you know, there's so many different styles and ways. And if you had a Filipino um, martial art or a Silat, Silat uh, uh, martial art, an Indonesian martial arts style, that's something that I would encourage you to investigate too because it's very practical, very, very street-oriented and practical and involves, you know, what's effective, what's going right. to work to disable or to contain. So, you know, that was uh, answer to that question. And then the Aikido and Hapido differences is Aikido is not aggressive. It's a defensive art. And Hapido, as I described, is a, is a hybrid of many different things. So, you know, it's, it's what works for you. And then I developed my own style of Hapido for what right. works, how I can utilize what my, uh, you know, articulation is, not, you know, word-wise, but physically what's, what works for me. And, uh, but you know, you can find that. So look for a, a C-Lot master and uh, somebody who, uh, you know, is uh, into that Indonesian style, Filipino style, and also the hot keto. The Filipino style is going to teach you a lot of the weapons very early, for example. But um, as you know, uh, gun fu or a disarm or even knife defense is maybe 5% effective. Right, you you just got to know that. But having a base would be super, and then right, yes. just learn to respect the actual weapons and tools themselves probably right. makes you a better. You understand it better. Right, and then you know having that freaking stab vest on is going to help you. <laughs> yeah, that, that would help. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have one last question for you, though. It's right. kind of a conglomerate of maybe a couple of smaller ones, but you've yeah. obviously worked with. Matthias Hughes, uh, Keith Cook, Billy Blank, Cynthia Rothrock, Keith Vitale. When yeah. you guys all get together for a movie, is there ever a time when you guys are kind of like, and obviously you all know what you're doing, no matter what your background is. Mm-hmm. And are you always blessed to have a fight choreographer or a director that films or sets up a scene that is actually like lifelike? Or is you sometimes you kind of step back and like, hey, this, is, this isn't practical. Sure, it's Hollywood, but is there a way to film it? Are you able to have that kind of control where you're like, hey, we got these experts here. Let's film this the way it should be. Well, that's always, you know, the thing that you got to kind of CYA. You know, there's a lot of times that, you know, you may or may not have somebody who has understanding of camera. And uh, that's just the situation, you know. But you're, you're able to tell that instinctively. You know, people that the people that you mentioned and uh, we talked about Ryan Hunter before uh, and and doing that end fight with uh, Keith uh, in Blood Brothers. Look, having the Chinese around for these first initial films and those stunt choreographers and those those levels of athletes and stunt performers, it just made all of us better. And they know Cameron. Sometimes there would be issues with distancing. Because you got two guys that are five two putting together a series of moves and choreography, but then two six foot guys have to do it, 
And so it's not going to work in the same space. So you might have to move the camera back, but they're going to, they're going to figure out the way to do it. And when you're working with other professionals, it's always, you know, it's, it's a, it's a stacking game. You want to give them room. You want to allow them to do what needs to be done. And you're all working together as a team and you all, you're all going to make it work the best you can. All I can tell you is, and you heard this in many of the interviews with Scott and whatever, is that, you know, with the Chinese, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to make you do it over and over and over again. So you get right. It right. And, and then once you have that experience, now when you're working on another film, you're going to maybe ask, you know, for another take or how did that look or, or you know, that kind of thing. You, look, you know, look, I haven't been in the environment of the 3D camera, uh, of, the, of the green screen. You know, my stuff was way before all the space right. face replacements and, and uh, you know, look, I worked as a stuntman. I did a lot of practical ground pounding. But the fact is, is that, you know, it's, it's always instinct. It's just like you, you know, you, you kind of know uh, because you've put your soul and your heart and your mind into it. So you know what's, what's going to work and what's not. And sometimes you just have to trust. You know, you're always covering, you know, CYA, covering your right. app. But you just got to kind of trust in what's going on and what's being done. And sometimes, you know, it's I, my daughter will tell you, I don't like to watch myself, you know, because I always think I could have done it better. And that's just my personality. It's like, you know, I described to you after this test, you know, me just leaving my bloody uniforms uh, there. So I was so I felt so upset at myself that I could have done better. But I did great. You know, I just needed that affirmation, I guess, or. I'm so hard. I'm going to be hard. I think we talked about this before as well. I'm hard on myself. So others don't have to be, or so, so others can be. And I don't get offended or affected by it because I, all I under, I understand that they're trying their best. All right. That's the way I choose to look at. It. And so with any of these people or these experts or these wonderful people, when you're working together, you just allow them to do your thing. And you, you just try to be in the right spot at the right time. So that it works for camera and so that everybody is safe. Everybody goes home. It's okay. And yes, you may have some boo-boos, but you know what? That's what you signed up for. So, you know, right. that's, that's what it is. That's what it's and all I, about. I know you and I have talked about King of the Kickboxers. And I recently just talked to Keith about it. But the stories that are coming from a movie like that, where it's yourself, Keith, and Billy, it's so – it's just awesome because, like, the fights are real and it's – it's just kind of cool that you guys are able to kind of, Hey, these are our backgrounds. This is what we're going to film. We're let's make this as real as we can. So I, that's just, it's just awesome. It is awesome. And it was, it was a blessing to be with the bulk of them. And it, as you know, Keith, uh, Keith Cook, I mean, he looks uh, like he's still the, he's the same guy there. You know, he's, he's even more ripped now. It's hard know? to believe he's only 30 years old. He said, so it's hard to believe. <laughs> Eternally twenty nine, <laughs> right? Thirty time. Um, yes, I just turned the big five eight, so I guess I'm uh, twenty eight for the thirtieth time. But you know, it's all good, buddy, and it's always a pleasure, John. And I and I wish you all the best with whatever is going to occur in the next month or so, because I think things are going to start to unwind. And what, whatever whatever goes on, we will be in touch always. Before and, you uh, go, yes, sir. What is this? Uh, 
Warrior Clothing, this thing your daughter started. Ah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, what yeah. is kind of like the why you started it and kind of what uh, the gist of it is? Well, there's a little mission statement there that describes what occurred between the two of us and about a very dear friend of mine. And I'm going to get choked up if I really get into it. But you can read at warriorwear.clothing what she saw in me and what I'm all, I've always driven into her, which is how are you going to make a difference for others who can't fight for themselves? And, you know, you've taken on, for example, yourself, John. The child trafficking and things yep. like you know my friend Vincent Lynn, for example, is is getting involved in that whole uh, world of getting rid of of trafficking and of slave white of slavery and of all of these things. So you know the fact of the matter is is that it's just it's just you know we live in a world that's kind of scary. So right. what we got to do is, is we, we just got to stick together and um, and keep keep the keep letting people know that it's all going to be all right and we it, we just have to we just have to learn from this and not let it take away our spirit or our um, our understanding of our purpose or what's important rather emphasize what is important and what we're here to do and right. what you're what you're here to do is the same thing that I feel I'm here to do and that's learn and make things better for others and for the next generation and for, you know, those that came before us to respect them and to, to give them the care and the honor that they deserve. Like my father's, you know, uh, the dirt on my, on my yep. shoe. And cause that's all I am is, is, is dirt. I am going to go back to the dirt and uh, what I do in between hopefully will make a difference in, in, in someone's experience. Right. You know, and so that's why I'm grateful to be with you, brother. And and I wish you and everyone out there all the best. And you know, just just keep 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 a positive PMA, positive mental attitude, and keep going. And everything's awesome. going to work out. Everything's awesome. going to work. Well, yeah, thank brother. you, Lauren, for uh, today, you. and uh, thank you for your wisdom, your stories, and uh, we'll be pleasure. talking soon. Absolutely, John. Thank you, awesome. brother. Thank you. Bye. God bless you. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at BroadcastDialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.